Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. My name is John Alexander. I'm here with the greatest co-host oh, in boy. the history of co-hosts <laughs> on the Eagle Brook Leadership Podcast. Well, there, by the way, there, limit that. Don Grafham. Don, how's life? Oh, life is good. Summer in Minnesota, there's just, this, there's nothing better. This is what we wait for. And of course, the bird update for you, John, because I know you're going to ask. Yep. The Orioles back baby cardinal in the backyard. So they go away for a bit? And they come go, back. they kind of disappear. <laughs> yeah, and then they come back. You gotta be patient. They come back. Oh my goodness. All right, well, moving on. We're so excited today because we have special guest, Kyle Eidelman. Kyle is the senior pastor of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and he's the author of several books, including God's at War, Grace is Greater, Not a Fan, and most recently, One at a Time. In my opinion, he's one of the great Bible teachers and preachers of our time, and he's a good friend of Eagle Brook. Kyle, it's great to have you here in Minnesota. First question, do you like watching birds? Hey, John, good to be with you. Uh, yeah, you know, I've never thought much about it. How, how do you get into bird watching, you, know, you well, get old and you don't have anything else to do and then you start watching You do, birds. the kids start to leave the home and so okay. what are you gonna do next? You put some bird feeders in the backyard yeah. and they just show up. And you just watch. You just watch. Okay. You, sit you document? There. Uh, I haven't documented, but I do have an app okay. where you can like hit record and it will record the birds. I feel like you could make up anything this about this. This is embarrassing. And we, and, oh and my God. You guys should just go along with it. would be like, oh, that's interesting. That's like, why I say it. John has no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> he sent us a picture and asked like, what is this? And it was like a red winged blackbird, which is like the most common bird. Well, sure. I mean, yeah, right, no, John, of course. Birds. It was an embarrassing hey, question. You know, he said, I, I sent <laughs> us because the other secret bird watcher is Jason Strand. That's oh, true. This is a okay. weird thing about him, but he he grew up watching birds. He was the only child, but he loves birds. He does. He does love, he does. love birds. He so you know what's surprising to me? And I, I, can, I can sense from John the desire to move on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> We're going to lose people if we keep talking about he bird hates, watching. Exactly. He hates this bit every time. But if, but, if, I, uh, if I was a bird watcher, I don't know that I would tell people. Yeah, exactly. like, I, feel, I feel like I would keep it to myself. That's if you're so not advanced. You, when you move okay. to the advanced level, you it's, kind of okay, put it out okay. there. But you, you got to get there. That's varsity level. All <laughs> right. This is a leadership podcast, everyone. This is not why we're here to talk about birds. Um, Kyle, we want to get to know you a bit first. Tell us about your background, maybe a little bit where you grew up and how you became senior pastor at Southeast Christian Church. Yeah, I grew up in a small town, uh, Joplin, Missouri. My dad was a seminary president, president, which is a little bit like a uh, being grown up as a pastor's kid would have mm -hmm. had some of the same dynamics. So I, not unlike a lot of pastor's kids, thought I don't want to be a pastor. Um, I, I went to the seminary where my dad was the president because the tuition was free. And uh, that was appealing to me. Mm. Uh, and, and then in the midst of that, I just began to fall in love with preaching and pastoring and began to believe in the mission of the church and uh, wanted to give my life to that. I, I went at age, when I was 22, I went to plant a church in Southern California. At the time, church planting wasn't something that was talked a lot about, at least in my circles. Um, so I didn't really know what I didn't know. Um, and yet I look back on that and just see how God, well, what Paul talks about in Corinthians is right, that, you know, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Um, one of the most important lessons I learned as a leader in those early days um, was it's okay to not have any idea what you're doing. <laughs> like, right. like being dependent upon God is a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And in some ways, the more you think you know what you're doing, the less dependent you are and the more dangerous, more uh, vulnerable of a position you're in. Yeah. Um, and so I, I learned in those early days as a church planter that, um, that I'd have to be dependent on him. I remember, I remember having this, um, oh, just anxiety about leadership in those days in those days, 
feeling like it was all on me mm-hmm. and I wasn't sleeping very well at night. So I, I take you know, sleeping medicine and I had some bad habits. And I remember waking up one night in the middle of the night and just feeling anxiety around it. And, and my wife saying to me, you know, Kyle, it, it's, it's not your church. Like the church is the bride of Christ. You're called to be a leader, but this isn't yours. Like this mm-hmm. is his. And when, you act, when you're acting like it's yours, when you're carrying the weight as if it belongs to you, you know, it's, it, it's showing that you don't really understand how all of this works. Mm-hmm. And, and God really used that middle of the night conversation, you know, to help me reset as a leader to take some pressure off of, you know, what I was putting on myself and recognizing that, look, I can do a lot of things wrong and God shows up, this is his, belongs to him. I can do a lot of things right. If God doesn't show up, then that doesn't matter. And, and so learning that dependence as a church planner was really significant. Mm-hmm. Um, then in 2003, I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, where I've been the teaching pastor at Southeast Christian Church up until like, I don't know, three and a half years ago uh, when we transitioned and I became uh, the senior pastor. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So, okay, fast forward a little bit. You just talked, gave some great nuggets on um, leadership lessons you learned early on in your ministry career. But let's talk about the last couple of years because mm-hmm. last couple of years have been a trying time for leaders, pastors, um, people who are leading the church just with pandemic, all the you know political, racial stuff that was happening in the world, just navigating truly uncharted territory in a lot of ways. Um, what are a couple of the key leadership lessons you've learned the last couple of years? You know, I underestimated how significant, the word I would use is comrades. I don't know if that's the right word, Mm -hmm. Uh, but how significant it is, not just what you do, but who you do it with. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I I think going into this season was focused very much on my leadership role and position and responsibility and growing in leadership skills. What I failed to fully appreciate or understand is, how much it matters that the brothers and sisters that you're serving with um, are replenishing to you and that you're walking together and working together and serving the Lord together. Um, and so in the middle of a lot of this the pandemic stuff, being able to look around and see who was with me is what made all of the difference. Yeah. Um, and, and so prioritizing that. I think one of the mistakes I've made uh, in the past is the, the people who I could count on, I didn't necessarily invest in or spend a lot of time with. I was giving a lot of attention and time to people who, you know, I felt like I needed to shore up or I needed to uh, pour into. And it's not that those things are wrong, um, but sometimes the people who were most replenishing to me, I didn't spend time with. I didn't really focus on them because I'm like, ah, oh, they're good. They're okay. I know I'm good with them. So I give my attention to all the, all the other people over here, um, which ends up being draining in a different way, especially if you're not supplementing that with the the refreshers in your life. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've learned to be more disciplined at um, my brother-sister relationships with the people I work with. Yeah, mm. absolutely. That's yeah, key. That is key. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? You know, I, I always have a hard time with that question. Yeah. I, I, I don't, f- I guess I would probably be more on the introvert scale, but I know yeah. people who are true introverts and I'm like, well, I'm, that's not really me. <laughs> yeah, right. But I know people who are extroverts and yeah. I'm like, well, that's not really me. So yeah. uh, I think I lean towards being a little bit more introverted. Sure. Um, yeah. I also think that what you do, like your, your job can 
lean you in one direction yeah, or another sure. a little bit more. Yep. Uh, before I was in uh, certain leadership roles, I was certainly more extroverted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I, you know, I tend to need a little more time of refreshing alone mm-hmm. yep. um, yeah. than maybe I used to. Yeah, it just seems like an observation to me is that when people become senior leaders, they often kind of, they are often introverted and maybe they become more introverted. And just that reminder, like you're talking about, to be with people mm-hmm. and to l- lean on your team and that that is a source of strength. Yeah, to me, one of the gauges here for leaders is the word accessibility. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's okay, I think, to be introverted and need time. Certainly it is okay to be introverted and need time uh, alone. What's not probably okay is to not have accessibility. If it's difficult for people to get to you and spend time with you or to um, talk to you or ask you questions, then that becomes, I think, a pretty mm-hmm. significant issue. So yeah. I think it's I think it's fine and healthy to have time alone. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's fine and healthy to not be accessible. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. point. Well, Kyle, one of the narratives out there is that people are leaving the Christian faith. Even uh, leaders, sometimes pastors, are leaving the Christian faith now at Eagle Brook, we just you just saw this number one thousand one hundred and thirty six people got baptized yeah, in one awesome. day. That is amazing, and uh, all the credit goes to God, obviously, for that. But what do you think God's doing in the world? There's kind of this people are leaving, and yet we're seeing that on the other hand too. What what do you see God's doing in our world today? You know, the way at least in my context, I've seen God working uh, a couple different things. I'd say first, He's teaching us as a body of Christ to to be more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a rawness in the decisions that are being made and the stories that are getting told that I didn't see five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are more willing to talk about their struggles or challenge or their loneliness or their their needs. I think that's super healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also think one of the things that ha- has happened, I don't know who talks about it this way, but the, the front rowers, the middle rowers, and the back rowers, and mm-hmm. in, the, in the past you know, number of years, um, you, your front rowers have stayed. Some of your middle rowers have either moved up or moved back and your back rowers have exited the building. Mm. And um, depending on how you look at it, that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. <laughs> like there's a, yeah. there's a refining that often takes place before revival. Mm. And so my prayer is that some of what we're seeing is actually that. It's mm. um, setting us up for what the Holy Spirit's gonna do in, in bringing, bringing revival. Mm. Great, that's cool. How do you think you keep bringing that hope to people? How do you cast that in front of those leaders who maybe are watching the people leave the door, getting frustrated, but we want to continue to give them hope. This is going to work. This is stay, stay, stay the course. So, you know, for me, as you might expect, since the, the book I wrote is called One at a Time, but, yeah. <laughs> but this is how I think we do it. I, I think it's by uh, seeing and celebrating you know, the one at a time stories mm, where, yeah, so cool. as an example, you know, I, it's awesome to celebrate the 1,136 baptisms as, as you should, uh, absolutely. But, you know, taking the time to tell one of those stories can be most compelling for people who are committing their lives to this. Yes. Because what gets me out of bed in the morning is not that number, it's the name and it's the face yes. mm-hmm. of the person who, you know, that number represents. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. it's really good. Hey, looking ahead a little bit, you know, as a, a senior pastor of one of the biggest churches in the country and just navigating the last couple of years, what kinds of ways do you think the church needs to change and adapt to reach people now in the future? Like, what are you sensing that the church needs to do to adjust accordingly? 
Well, and maybe nothing. I, by the way, I don't know. If no, there is an I, answer I think, there. I'm not. You know, I'm assuming. I think the I think the challenge is uh, the challenge around the question is prioritizing it. You know, there are I, I think a number of things that any church might need to address or pay attention to. So, if I could um, make it specific to the the church where I serve, um, it is again, I, I come back to the one at a time. It is understanding that the bigger the church is, the smaller it needs to become. And um, learning to, to lean in to the felt needs of people. So I'll give you an example, uh, John, that maybe you can relate to, I don't know. But um, I, I get this call, or actually it was a text, uh, then a call, but it started as a text. It was from a guy in our church, really committed leader, it served as a, a deacon for us. And he had a, a daughter, five years old, who had um, been in cancer treatments and was cancer-free and wanted to celebrate that and was having a party for that and, and wanted to invite me to it. But I saw on the invitation that the, um, the party was at a church not too far down the road from our church. It wasn't at our church. And I'm like, that's weird. Mm. He's part of our church and that leader here. And so I call him up and I'm like, hey man, that's so awesome. Can't wait to celebrate with you. Absolutely want to be at that party. Hey, why, why, why not have it at your home church? I, you know. And he said, oh, well, I don't, you know, it's, it's all right. I don't want to make a big deal out of it. He said, I, I tried to have it at, at the church, um, but we weren't, able to, we weren't able to get the space to have this party. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I said, well, what? tell me about that. What happened? He said, well, we needed to have a, a ministry that supported us. Um, and then, you know, we needed to be able to, on for some of the paperwork to get the room to, and he said, just, we didn't quite meet the criteria to be able to use space for this party. Mm. And in my mind, I'm, you know, sad and a little furious. Mm, yes. <laughs> you know, I'm so yeah. like, how did this happen? Yeah. Because I know the people who are in charge of our facilities are not against five-year-olds celebrating being cancer-free. Like right. I know they love Jesus and I know that they love you. I know all of right. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were systems in place that, that made this too difficult for him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I went and I talked to those people. I'm like, hey, I know you all love, you know, love this family. You love our church. Thank you for serving at the, at the church. I know your heart's on all of this. Mm-hmm. But how did this happen and how do we not let it happen again? Mm-hmm. And, um, and they said, well, you know, it's just challenging because there are a lot of people who have a lot of things that they need. And, and so we kind of came up with this criteria and basically, you know, if it's a question of, if we can't, you know, if we can't do it for everyone, then we probably shouldn't do it for anyone type of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I said, well, we need to rethink that mm-hmm. because that might make sense on paper or for an organization, but we're not an organization, we're church. And so let's figure out a, a different way to approach that as a church. Mm. And, and to their credit, they've done that beautifully. And um, I could give you a lot of examples of how we've kind of leaned into those moments. Um, like I'll give you one from a more recent, like there, at one of our campuses, um, there was uh, a special, a person with some special needs who needed to be parked within a certain amount of feet to the building. Mm. And we already had some you know, special needs parking, um, but they needed to be closer. And, you know, Instead of saying, hey, we already have parking there, you know, the, the, they said, look, we don't have parking as close as you need it. So we're going we're gonna to valet park for you 
each weekend. So when you pull up, you know, here's the number to text. We'll have somebody come out. Mm-hmm. You know, you can take your special needs uh, family member in and we'll park your car. And, when you're, and you know, it, immediately that's impractical. <laughs> uh, you, you know, and people, and there are some people in the room who think, well, we can't do that. We can't do that. What if there's 10 other people? Yeah. Well, then we'll do it for 10 other people, yeah, right? Like, yes. like ultimately, there's worse things to be known for than as the church who valet parks for people with special needs. Yes. Right. And, and so I, I think, you know, as a church, learning to lean in to those moments as opportunities yeah. um, it can be challenging, yeah. but uh, you know, beautiful ways to, to demonstrate the you know, authenticity of the gospel. Yeah, it's really good. I love that challenge. And even for our volunteers that are listening to maybe look for those certain ways that you can bless somebody in a unique way yes. and create a unique experience, even if you can't do it for everyone. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's worth at least asking the question. That's right. Could we valet park the car? I mean, yeah. someone had to have the guts to ask that question. Yeah. Sometimes you just pull back because you're like, oh, I'm going to get laughed at or no one will accept that. Well, right. let's at least... Work on that. Let's yeah. let's ask the question. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Well, uh, one of our staff commitments we have around here is called Make It Better. Mm-hmm. And so we're always trying to make things better, make ourselves better. What's one of the biggest leadership mistakes you've made and how have you gotten better from that? Um, I think one of the, um, I'm trying to identify, you know, which one. <laughs> um, I think for me, in more recent months, and I hate to say it because it's, it's so cliche and it's a little embarrassing because mm. everyone warned me about it and I did it anyway. Mm. Um, and that is, you know, the balance thing. You know, I, especially during the pandemic, I just worked way too much and, you know, was determined you know, to to fix things that were well beyond my control. And um, and it w- worked fine for a while, and then it didn't. You mm-hmm. know, it's just it's not very it's not sustainable. And so, you know, I I cringe at having to say that because I've had so many leaders warn me about it, mm-hmm. and then um, and then it happened. Yeah, and, and and it snuck up on me. You know, I I think, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, and then you know, you start realizing, oh, I'm not. I'm yeah. I'm shorter with people. Uh, you, you know, get a little bit more you know, irritated at home, you start to see some things pop up and you're like, okay, I, I've got to, I've got to put into practice um, these rhythms that I know are what God would want. I know are honoring to him. So, you know, as cliche as it is, it, uh, it that's certainly yeah. true for me. Yeah. It's that's a danger good. for any leader, any mm-hmm. pastor. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle, you're great teacher, great leader, but you're also an incredible author. We've mentioned this a few times about your books and we're talking about one at a time. Personally, your books have made an impact in my life. Here's what we say around uh, some of our leaders. I say this, if Kyle Eidelman publishes a book, I buy it. Mm. End of story. Mm. It's true. Bob, our previous senior pastor used to say that. And uh, Mm. the last book, One at a Time, was very inspiring. We might even do a series on it next year. Probably give you credit. Okay, so we'll just give you a heads up. We've got one. Uh, Penciled in okay. loosely. We, you were part of the message yeah, planning retreat right? loosely anyways. But in, in the book, you talk about Jesus has a zoom lens approach. Uh, say more about that and how leaders should adopt this approach. Yeah. So I, I talked a little bit about it in my sermon this weekend, yeah. but the, um, you know, the consistent, the consistent rhythm in the gospels where it, is Jesus being surrounded by crowds 
with lots of different expectations. But in the midst of crowds, he would identify one person. Um, or they would identify themselves, but he would stop and take time for them and engage with them and encourage them. Um, I, I think that this gospel model is what we have to, like we, we focus a lot and rightly so on multiplication, but multiplication happens when as a leader, we set a certain example, right? And the way we set that example is by living this one at a time life. Then it gets multiplied throughout the organization. It doesn't always feel you know, living life with a zoom lens doesn't always feel very time efficient. Yeah. Like you think, well, look, if I really want to have an impact, I'm going to pour into these people and then I'll let those people do it. And, and I think a lot of leaders, church leaders kind of get into that where they can't really tell their own one at a time stories, but they're trying to help other people tell those stories. But they both, both those things need to be true at the same time. Uh, the way that you're going to engage people and lead people to live that kind of life is to live that kind of life. Yeah. And and so uh, being able to prioritize that, I talked to our staff about like this, this needs to be part of your job mm. um, is, is living this way. That might mean you need to get out of the office a little bit more. You, you know, there's a sense sometimes of hard work means keeping certain office hours. If there's anything true of the gospels is that Jesus didn't spend a lot of time in the office, right? It was, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, I talk about this in the book as the proximity principle that he's almost, when, when these stories take place, it's because he's on his way somewhere. He's mm. doing something. He's not just in the temple all the time. And it's outside the temple walls that many of these stories would, would happen around the Sea of Galilee. You've got about 80% of them taking place. And, and so I, I would say that, you know, if you're struggling with that, if you're, if you're having a hard time coming up with those stories, and you need to change your proximity. You, yeah. you, if you, it's likely because you're putting yourself in places um, where you're not around those kinds of needs the way that you should be or the way that you need to be mm. in order to have that kind of influence. And that means mixing it up. It yeah. means not going to the same place for coffee. It means not going to the gym and having your headphones in the whole time. It means, mm. you know, getting out of the office and having lunch with, you know, instead of just having lunch brought to you or bringing your lunch, right? It's, it's being around people where there's an opportunity to actually live that out. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's yeah. been really inspiring for me. I've been thinking a lot about that since you talked about it this weekend and, and even through your book. And I think one of the, if I can just say confession moments is that sometimes you can start to feel too self-important like I don't have I don't have time to go do, you know, I've got to think big picture. I got to think how this applies to everyone. And that's just a confession on my end. Yeah. Like sometimes mm -hmm. you just, start working through your calendar or you don't have time or just that too self-important thing is, has come to my mind and heart a lot recently. I think God's kind of reminded me I'm not that important and mm -hmm. to take time for the one and that's that's where leadership happens and change happens. And so again, go buy that book one at a time. Fantastic. Well, I would just riff off that a little bit too because you use the word inefficient, which is a sobering word because I think as leaders, we tend to think in systems like how's this gonna impact? Yeah a large staff yeah. or a large amount of people and that's where I need to be thinking. Yes. And so I'm often thinking in a systematic way. Yes. Even if I get an example, I think, how can I apply that to 10, 20, 100 people? Mm -hmm. And so they're like, no, no, it's just eyeball yeah. to eyeball, cup of coffee, talking to someone. Yeah, it's interesting because I, th I think the disciples 
often felt frustrated with Jesus for being inefficient with yeah. his time. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. hey, what, what are you doing? Like, right. you know, whether they're telling totally. the little kids to yeah. leave them alone or whether yeah. they're, you know, telling the man on the side of the road who's calling out for help to be quiet. Mm. You know, they're like, hey, we've, what we've got here is an important job to do and you're slowing us down. Yeah. yeah. And, and so they, they clearly, from their perspective, thought Jesus was not always very efficient with, yep. his, with his time management skills. Yep. And, uh, and so if the people around you feel like you're inefficient with your time management skills because of this, you're in good company. Like yeah. that's, uh, you know, that is the, uh, the example that Jesus set for us. Yeah, mm, that's so good. Well, say a little bit about why you write books and maybe just give us a little sneak peek into your writing process. How does this come about for you? Yeah, I didn't plan on writing. I loved preaching, but um, I had finished a series that I saw at our church was really impactful. And um, a guy in our church who worked for a publishing company said, hey, I really think that this series of messages would, would be impactful. He worked for Zondervan. He said, look, if you, if you want to turn that into a book, I'll, I'll really work to make sure it gets published. And it kind of took away my excuses for doing it or not doing it rather. And, um, and so I, you know, I began to write. I discovered in writing that what writing and preaching have in common as a, as a communication um, is, is that it's one of my favorite definitions of preaching is it's truth through personality. It's God's truth through who he made you to be. Um, and, and I know as a preacher, I used to feel this way. And then when I started to write, I certainly felt this way that, hey, there's a lot of other voices. There's a lot of other books. Is it really, do I really need to add mine to it? Mm-hmm. And, and yet I've discovered just the beauty of how God uses different people to reach different people. And he wants to use who he has made you to be mm-hmm. um, to communicate his truth. And so I... I I've discovered the beauty of that as a writer. The other thing that I really try to do is, I was talking to John about this last night at dinner, but mm. um, I, I try to write with my grandkids in mind. I don't have any grandkids yet. I, well, actually, that's not true. My, my middle daughter uh, will make me a grandfather here in October coming up here. <laughs> All right. uh, so I will become a grandfather here mm-hmm. pretty quickly. But I, I try to write that and I try to write with them in mind. And, and why I think that's helpful is if you can write again for kind of a one at a time approach, if you can write with that person in mind, it, it allows the message to reach a lot more people. You know, the principle, which is true in rap music and country music, and the principle that, that specific is broad is really good. Like it's a really helpful thing that if you, the more specific you can be to one person, the more broadly you'll be able to connect to a lot of other people. But if you try to connect to everybody, then you end up missing, you know, missing everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so as, as, a, as a writer, I'm, I'm often thinking of, you know, either a family member or somebody in church that's specific. When I write a sermon or when I write a chapter, I'll often put a name at the top couple of names at the top of the document mm-hmm. of people who I know need to hear this message. Mm-hmm. People, if I was sitting down with them uh, for coffee, this is the this is a conversation I'd want to have. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's cool. Well, you stole my the answer to my next question because I was going to ask about sermon prep uh, and who you're thinking about, but you are thinking about that one person, those one or two people who, who need to hear the message that you're about to preach. I love that. God's truth through how he created you to be. That was that was really insightful. Mm-hmm. But Don, maybe last question, what do you got? Last question, okay. if you could go back 20 years, what would you say to your younger self about leadership and about being a pastor? I would, I would say, 
You should take up bird watching. Yeah, There's something there you go. about. I like that. <laughs> oh no! Circle. You've been corrupted. I love it. <laughs> you know, I, I would probably tell myself not to take things things too seriously. Um, last weekend, I got to preach at the church that I started 20 years ago, and. Um, Afterwards, it was it was kind of emotional for me. I sat out in my rental car in the parking lot, my Honda Accord, and I sat out there and I I cried. And the reason I was trying to discern, like, where's that emotion coming from? And it was 20 years ago I started that church, and it was relief. I didn't realize it, but I had been carrying the weight of leaving that church as a, uh, when it was young for a long time, feeling some guilt around that and pressure, even though the church has, has done and is doing incredibly well, I felt, I felt a weight that I should not have felt. Um, and, and so I, I think in hindsight, there are a lot of things that I thought depended on me that really didn't. And if I could have encouraged myself, you know, like, hey, this is in God's hands. Don't take this so seriously. Trust him to, to work this out or redeem. Um, the, the journey would have been much you know, much more joy filled. Mm. Uh, but even now that, you know, <laughs> that's a challenge, right? Yeah. It's, a, yeah. it's a struggle to do that. That's a good word. I, I need to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Kyle. We, we are a big fan of yours and um, really grateful that you took time to come to Minnesota mm. to speak to our community. I know that there's just thousands of people who love you. They're inspired by you, by the words you write, by the words you speak. So thank you. And we're cheering you on all the way. Yeah. Thanks, you guys. Really grateful for the work you're doing. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, that's all we got for this month's episode of the Eagleburg Church Leadership Podcast. When leaders get better, the church gets better. So we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.